families are more reliant on tech these days. We talk to the family tech guru next on Remote Space. Hello? Uh, yeah, right. I'm sending that over in an hour. The meeting today? Another one? Hold on one sec. Enough! (laughs) Working from home not as much fun as you imagined? Remote Space explores the tools and philosophies we use as we work more remotely. We'll talk to experts who have mastered remote work, those studying the shift in how we work, and those learning on the run. Here's your host, Doug Thomas. Sarah Kimmel is a digital parenting coach and family tech expert, spending the last 16 years working as an IT manager supporting over 100 small businesses. She started Family Tech Zone in order to introduce parents to what's available to them in tech. Reviews, tech tips, podcasts, and more can be found at familytechzone.com and at Family Tech on many social platforms. I talked to Sarah from her home in Utah. So Sarah, you've 15, 16 years in IT services and marketing. You run Family Tech Zone, techs all around you. You have this great setup at home. You showed everyone on Instagram. I have to ask, is there a piece of software or hardware that you really wish was invented right now? You know, uh, way to just, Put me on the spot right out of the gate. (laughs) That's what we do. I know, right? Yeah, I think what I would really love to see is just a universal parental control app or device that like just really nails it, allows me to monitor everything I want to monitor, manage everything I want to manage in just like one super easy location. So kind of like a smart home that you just, you know, you plug in your light and therefore you just say lights on, lights off. It'd be for a family app. So permissions and all that, you could just maybe talk to it and it would do what you wanted it to do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, hey, my daughter's grounded. Go ahead and disable YouTube on all of her devices. (laughs) Just doing that would be perfect. Oh, I could just imagine the celebrity voices that would line up for uh, that, that <laughs> app. Well, you know, maybe uh, maybe we'll we'll get <laughs> to that at some point. Uh, Family Tech Zone uh, website and the social umbrella of that is trying to introduce parents to what's available to them in tech. Uh, let's say, what's the number one thing they don't understand in 2019? Yeah, and well, 2019 is obviously very different than 2020 parents. So. You know, in 2019, I got a lot of parents hitting my site. You know, they were looking for parental controls. They were looking for, you know, what kind of apps and websites to block, but definitely not as much as they are looking for that now. In the past, it was more, you know, what kind of STEM toys can I get my kids? How can I teach them how to code? You know, there's a lot of emphasis on STEM learning for the kids. And smart home, you know, smart home was a big draw to my site as well. Like, how do I set up this? And, you know, how do I get my lights and my garage door to talk to each other and everything like that? Okay, so uh, smart home is dealing with a device like Amazon's Echo or Siri and all those folks that you would talk and and, and get switches. So your controls uh, convince me why I need a smart home. Oh, my goodness. Who doesn't need a smart home? I love, love, love. And I have over 50 devices connected to my Wi-Fi router at any given time. Wow. Okay. (laughs) I think I'm around 60 at this point, but 
I mean, every light switch, every light, you know, the garage door, the sprinkler system, you know, everything I can program from my phone, I can not only just manipulate it from my phone, I can set up these awesome routines so that if I'm leaving my house, it will automatically turn my lights off. It will automatically turn my thermostat down, you know, so it's really gets really energy efficient. Or if I'm approaching my house, it can automatically open my garage door for me. So I don't even have to click the button. You know, there's so many things that it can just do and that we won't even have to think about it anymore. Wow, I think you have 49 more devices than I do. So that's that's interesting. Okay. So that's that's pretty good convincing. So it sounds like in for 2020 the main thing that parents are looking for is parental controls just because their kids are on the computer all day now. Yeah, and you know, they want to make sure that they're doing their schoolwork when they're on their computer all day. Because it's so much easier to be distracted by, you know, YouTube and all of the other cool internet sites that are out there when your teacher's kind of droning on on a Zoom call. So parents are really trying to figure out how to manage that, how to make sure kids are staying productive. You know, they weren't planning on giving their children so much access to technology, and they're really being thrown into the deep end of the pool here. Now their kids are required to be on this technology all day. And so they're really struggling to try and figure out how to manage that and how to maintain it. And is it they want to make sure that there's certain areas, are they, are they trying to limit sites or are they just looking for a report so they can, I guess it matters on the age of the kid, if you're trying to limit or you're just trying to get a report so you can see at the end of the day or the end of the week, uh, how your kid's doing. Is, is that the two areas? I would say both at some points, you know, they want to make sure their kid has access to YouTube or whatever when it's not school time, but they want to make sure they are doing schoolwork during school time. So that management is really important for a lot of parents. And then reporting, yeah, so they can see exactly what's going on, you know, in their schoolwork and in, you know, in their fun time, because, you know, there's still a lot of fun to be had on technology. And so they don't want to limit that completely. But they do want to make sure they are on task when they need to be and then just block out the stuff that they don't need to be doing. Okay. And speaking of fun stuff in technology, you wrote an article that the headline just immediately, I mean, it's a great clickbait article, I must say. <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and a few years ago, um, I would have been, have been interesting because my kids are a little older, but the headline was, just give your teen a smartphone already. So explain the article, explain your philosophy. Yeah, so a lot of parents, you know, I cringe whenever somebody's like, oh, I'm only going to give my child a flip phone until they're 18 and just refuse to give them access to technology and kind of like acting super proud about that fact. But my stance is a little different. And I feel like give them access while you still have the chance to manage and maintain it and monitor it so that you can correct bad behavior as you see it. And, you know, you see something that they're doing. Hey, you know, that wasn't very nice to say to your friend. I kind of liken it to, you know, you're not going to give your child a credit card as soon as they get out of the house. Oh, you're 18. Here's your credit card. You're going to teach them how to manage money or you're going to teach them how to do chores around the house while you can still correct any big mistakes so that when they're an adult, they know how to manage and maintain it for themselves. So the other side of that coin, though, is 
teens are using social media exclusively to communicate with each other. And the problem with not giving your child a smartphone is they lose access to these friends. And it's not that the friends are being malicious or anything. Just no teenager wants to text their friend's mom in order to see if they can hang out. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be that would be awkward. <laughs> so one of the lines in that article talked about give the Internet a bedtime. Talk about that. I say put the Internet to bed every night for every device in the house, for sure. That way, you know, you can sleep a little easier because, you know, your kids aren't, you know, doing anything that you wouldn't approve of on the internet while you're sleeping, but definitely give the internet a bedtime. Like, I mean, even for my devices, I give the internet a bedtime. And is that something you do on the device or is that something you do in a system? How does that best work? I actually do that um, in two locations. I'm a huge proponent of layers of parental controls because one just isn't going to cut it. So I do that on my Wi-Fi router for sure. So automatically at a certain time, the internet turns off to these specific devices. And the router that I picked will allow me to choose because I don't want the internet to turn off on the smart lights or the garage door or the locks or things like that. So I definitely make sure that is limited to, you know, smart TVs and phones and tablets and whatnot so that internet it goes to bed on the devices that don't need it. But those that don't have a screen they can still have the internet at night. So I do that on the Wi-Fi network. And then for phones and things that can go on a different network, like a data network, I also do that at the cellular provider level. So, you know, through Verizon or AT&T or T-Mobile, you can set it so this device cannot access data after a certain time. Right, because kids, some kids are smart enough to get through some of the simple devices. So right. if you cut the cord, yeah. And that's interesting. And I have to ask, what kind of router is that? Because I my router, I don't think does that. Oh, so my router is the gold standard for parental control routers. It's called the Griffin. And so it's not very well known, but um, it's G-R-Y-P-H-O-N. And I actually met them at CES about four or five years ago. And when I met them, I was like blown away because coming from an IT background, so I've been in IT for 17 years and my IT background, I'm talking to the owner of this company and I'm like, oh my gosh, he gets it. He understands the parental control part and he understands the networking part. And that was my problem with a lot of other routers was they either did parental controls really well or they did the networking really well, but I couldn't find one that did both. You know, So it would have really good parental controls, but the internet would be really spotty or you know, it'd have you know, really great internet, but the parental controls were very lacking. So uh, when I found Griffin and I installed it and I started using it, I'm like, yes, this is the one that gets the family tech seal of approval for sure. Great. That's great. Okay, let's have a let's have a short debate here. We're going to take pros and cons here. Sweet. When it comes to calendars, I'm going to take the pro of a paper calendar and you can take the digital calendar. So here's my argument with a paper calendar. If you have a paper calendar, it's in one place. Everyone knows where it is. That way it's official. That way it's like if you can't come up with a quick thing about, oh my gosh, I'm going to do this. No, it's on the calendar. It has to be there. And that way it's a, a discussion device that we could bring out, let's say at dinner time to make sure we're looking at the week, you know, and you pencil it and you pencil it out. But uh, it usually has a nice picture on it too. We do a family calendar with pictures. So I'm a proponent in, in the paper calendar is the best way to make sure everyone's where they need to be on a day-to-day -day basis. 
So my way better point is with a digital calendar, every child or every person in the family can have their own calendar. And so they have their device at school, something happens and they need to be somewhere after school tonight. They're not going to have time to, you know, go home, discuss it in a committee and then, you know, put it on the official calendar. They can just add it to their calendar right on their phone. It shows up on my phone. It shows up on their dad's phone. You know, everybody is on the same page immediately when that appointment is set. And so having everybody with those capabilities that they can add stuff to their calendar, it shows up on mine, it's automatically color coded. So I'm looking at my calendar. And you know, all of Maddie's appointments are in yellow, and all of Michael's appointments are in blue. I can see who needs to be where at all times, wherever I'm at too. So if I'm at the store, and somebody's asking me to go somewhere, I can pull up my calendar right away. And you know, oh, nope, somebody else has an appointment that time, I can't do it. I think you probably win the argument. (laughs) I think we held on to a paper calendar a little longer than most because my uh, my wife really liked it. Uh, but at some point, especially when everyone had their own phone, it made sense to do the digital calendar as long as everything was syncing, which it's gotten a lot better over the last few years. That's for sure. Yeah, I have a friend who has nine children and I went over to help her with some computer stuff and I saw their big whiteboard with all of their kids, you know, piano practice and all of that. And I'm like, oh, Marcy, no, no, no. Let me help you fix that. So I set her up with her own calendars for all of her kids and everything. And we got it all digitized. Don't worry about it. Boy, though, you're going to put the whiteboard people out of business. <laughs> One of the things you offered uh, before COVID was the uh, in-home consolations, which now you would you would do online. Let's go back to what, when you were doing the in-home, what were the common things that people wanted you to help them with? Sure. Um, so, you know, there's always the typical, you know, my printer is not working or, you know, the Wi-Fi is dead in this area or how can I fix my virus on my computer? But, you know, obviously since COVID, it's been a lot of parental controls again because the parents are trying to figure out how to, you know, navigate this technology world that they've been thrust into. So, you know, basically they're like how to set up my Wi-Fi router like mine. So where, you know, the Internet goes to bed and I've blocked these specific apps for my children or or how can I get them to have time limits on their devices and, you know, and block YouTube during school hours and things like that. So it's been definitely a lot of helping them with that parental control portion and actually with their, you know, just schooling portion, how to set up their their kids, you know, environment for optimal learning, you know, give them a second screen, have them get a headset and a nice, you know, webcam, things like that. So it's definitely skewed more towards, you know, helping everybody get set up with their remote learning and their remote work. And with remote learning and work, which you which you've done for the folks, uh, educators, teachers who are doing much more of this than they probably were ever thought they would or were trained to do, uh, is there any tips or, or things that you would say would be worthy to maybe see if the school district could get for them or, or by themselves? Oh, for sure. You know, the environment is a huge part of that. You know, so making sure that they have a specific place to do that schoolwork, um, you know, or to do those, you know, education, however long they're going to be standing in front of their TV or their computer, you know, making sure that the 
the outside noise or the outside distractions are minimized, you know, a door so that the dog doesn't come walking in during the middle of your lesson and, you know, other things like that, or, and getting a good webcam because, if the kids can't see or hear you, they're going to lose interest very, very quickly. So, you know, making sure you have all of that right equipment so that you can do those lessons and it'll be engaging and entertaining for the kids while it's a really difficult time to be engaging and entertaining. <laughs> True. Uh, one of the things I saw on your website, you had several articles about health. And that's one thing I know that well, tell me, how. what's a few things in the health world which technology really helps out on? Yeah, and this is actually one of my big passions, too, because I've been working out at home long before it was popular from COVID. <laughs> I, I had the uh, Tybo VHS tapes uh... for ever and ever, and then I graduated to the Tybo DVDs. And so I've been working out at home to DVDs for a really long time. So um, when streaming really hit, it was super exciting for me because now I can have access to all of these different workouts and I'm not spending a fortune on DVDs. I'm just buying these subscriptions and I can do HIIT workouts or step routines or you know yoga or Pilates. Like There's just a huge, huge variety available to me on my TV so I can do any workout I want at any time. And what about uh, apps? How has apps helped in the health world? Sure. So my fitness pal is my favorite. I think it's the favorite of many, many people. It's it's my, it's the one I have. Yep. Right. Um, it's just so easy to be able to track how many calories in and how how many calories out. It syncs up with my um, my fitness tracker, which is my Garmin watch because I love the whole Garmin ecosystem, but I do love to track my food and my intake with my fitness pal. So having those systems really talk to each other and work together really helps me get a big picture of, you know, where I'm at with my fitness. And I have to say, you know, I tried this, I'm going to say probably four or five years ago, it was just starting out and Microsoft was getting to some of the health stuff. So I was trying some of that and the food tracking was interesting because I know that's a really great, it's one of those things that can be a really great indicator and device to help you. If you're writing it down, you actually watch what you eat a little bit better. But it was so hard to input all the specialized foods. And when I came back to it, let's say a year, year and a half ago, it was so easy. I mean, the full menus of restaurants are there, almost every single package food, or you can just scan the code. It was for anyone who started it or tried it a couple of years ago, and you want to do it, come back to it because the technology has really gotten a lot better, at least for the tracking of the food part. That's for sure. Yeah, that's the great thing about user generated content is, you know, there's so many users and all of them are entering their data. And so, you know, I look up one egg yolk and two egg whites and it's there as a meal, you know. So really, like you were saying, really specialized meals are just already there and have all of those calories and um, nutrition facts calculated for you already. One of the things I liked about your site, and again, coming coming from an IT background, and I would never want to do an IT podcast because I think a lot of those people speak in a, it almost feels like Latin. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, that's what we do for our jobs. And to take writing that's that's highly technical and get it into words that I say normal people can do, do you have a few tips or rules for people who are trying to work on that uh, and try to make it a more friendly writing? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, not to throw my mom under the bus, but 
I always try and picture my mom when I'm writing my articles. I'm like, if I can explain it and she can understand it, then I think the rest of the world can understand it as well. And people think that they have to understand technology and get really down on themselves for not understanding it. And, you know, I hear all the time, oh, my gosh, you must think I'm so dumb, you know, when I'm helping them with a problem. And I my go to response is always, if you knew what I know, then I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> so I'm glad that you don't understand all of this technology. But, you know, I've come up with a bunch of different analogies and things to like really help people understand really technical concepts in ways that, you know, they can figure it out and, you know, in terms that they know and use. Oh, you just said the magic word to be analogies. Hit me with an analogy. I, I love them. I love them. Oh, I've got several like, um, you know, I, I compare a closet to defragmenting a hard drive and things like that. Okay. Okay. Wait a minute. I know my closet. I, I remember defragging. I don't do it a lot, but okay. Talk a little bit more. I need a little more information here. I mean, obviously it's not a huge thing anymore, but you know, I've been in IT for 17 years. So I was trying to explain defragmenting a hard drive to somebody. And I'm like, oh, you know, it's like when you're cleaning out your closet and you pull out these sweaters and these shirts and you get rid of all of this. And then you have all of this space left in your closet, but you know, it still looks full. So then you've got to push all of the shirts and everything to one side. And then you have all of this space on the end. So that's how I compare a closet to defragmenting a hard drive. <laughs> uh, that's great. And I'll, I'll just hit you up with one of mine. It's actually how I got into this job when I started doing videos years ago. Microsoft has the ribbon, which for the top part of all the menus. And what when the ribbon came out, they took away everyone's menus that people were used to, you know, that had menu upon menu upon menu that was kind of a cascading system. So we were trying to help explain what the ribbon was. And I was caught by the fact that the ribbon is something decorative and that's not decorative. It was really something functional. And I had one of those aha moments where I reached into my desk to grab something and I knew where it was because it was in my desk caddy. Mm -hmm. I knew where the paperclip was and I thought, that's it. The ribbon is a desk caddy. Nice. In fact, it's many desk caddies. You know, you have one for each tab and, you know, you may have to hunt around a little bit, but you know, you have it there. So uh, we could do analogies all day, but I don't want to keep you. Oh, that was perfect. Uh, as we were approaching the holidays here, I just uh, want to have you play a Kris Kringle here and say, since everyone's going to be, a lot of people are going to be working from home for several more months into 2021. Is there something that if, let's say, something they, if they wanted to invest or, or give something that was a, a more expensive present, and then maybe something that's like a stocking stuffer that would be good to have for someone who is doing more work from home and wants to get better at it or, or, or be more comfortable? Sure. Um, so especially from for work from home, um, so many people are working from home and they weren't prepared to work from home. So they're working at their kitchen table or they're working at, you know, someplace that's not really comfortable to be sitting at for eight hours a day. So a good standing desk, like and you don't even have to get the desk, you can just get a topper for whatever desk you're currently using that can rise up and lower down so that you can be more comfortable if you can, you know, if you want to stand up, if you want to sit down, that really helps kind of change up the day while you're sitting there for eight hours. So I really love my standing desk for sure. Great. And that's, uh, I believe that the ones you're talking, the toppers are, are, are called usually desk converters, I think. Yeah, there's several different ones. I've got like kind of the Cadillac where, you know, you just like press the little button and it's like, 
and then you just press the little button and it comes back down. But yeah, it would be a standing desk conversion, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. And well, what about a stocking stuffer? Stocking stuffer, just a good ergonomic mouse. I mean, heaven forbid you're actually using your trackpad all day for eight hours. But, you know, a nice ergonomic mouse is really going to help save your hand. That's something you typically have at the office, but you might not have at your house. Okay. Uh, you, I love my ergonomic mouse. I need to know what yours is. I, I, I guess I'm a homeboy. I'm using <laughs> a Microsoft Sculpt ergonomic mouse it's a big round one that has a blue button on top but uh um yeah i've uh, i made sure i i have one at home and one at work for this uh what is your uh, uh, mouse of choice i'm a logitech fan um i think it goes back to the days when i've had a glass top desk and it was like the only thing that would work on my glass top desk I love my ergonomic mouse and it just kind of connects with my ergonomic keyboard which is also just the, the split keyboard type and uh, so they can, they go together and I just have one little adapter in the computer. So everything connects. Well, terrific. Great suggestions and all around. Uh, Sarah Kimmel is a uh, runs FamilyTechZone.com. You can go there. You can find her on Instagram and other social media platforms at FamilyTechZone and get lots of great information. There's uh, several hours of uh, podcasts and other lessons that you can learn at uh, Family Tech Zone. Thank you so much for your time uh, and uh, for coming on to a remote space, Sarah. Of course. Thank you so much, Doug. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to hear more stories and lessons learned from those working in the remote space.